records for us that when Moses was traveling through the wilderness, well, he was on the back side of the wilderness, and he saw a burning bush. And the scripture says that he turned aside to see it. And he said, behold. And number one, he was on the back side of the wilderness. And there are people in here this morning who feel like you're on, like you're out in the middle of nowhere and you feel like, I don't even know if God sees me out here. And what I want you to know is that God found Moses on the back side of the wilderness. So wherever you are in your journey, wherever you are in your walk, you are not hidden from God. God sees you and God knows right where you're at. The other part of that is that Moses said, behold, I will turn aside. Meaning that he turned away from the norm. He turned away from his uh, schedule that day. And he turned aside to see what the Lord was doing. And he took his sandals off because that place was holy. And I feel that there is a moment right now that we're in that we have stepped into a place that's holy. So right now, whatever your normal thought process is, if you're like, okay, well, let's go ahead and just move into the service and into the word, and that's what we do. Let's just pause here for a moment and behold. And what is it that the Lord wants to speak to you? Because this is your burning bush moment. How is it that God wants to reveal himself to you? And what does God want to speak to you? Because he sees you, even if you feel like you're on the backside of the wilderness. If you feel like you're out where you don't even know if anybody knows your situation, you feel alone, you feel isolated. I feel like there's people in here who think to themselves, no one will understand because nobody's been where I'm at and I feel totally alone. And right now, if that is you, I just encourage you (laughs) to defeat the lie of isolation. And I invite you, it's already being done. I invite you just to stretch your hand up in the air not signifying to anyone else, but to you and God to say, God, I believe that you are here and you are holy. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. And as you extend your hand, what you're doing is you're saying, God, I'm opening my heart. I'm opening my soul to you you to step into this moment with me because I have turned aside and I stand here in this moment in your presence because of you and because of who you are because of you and because of who you are I stand here in this moment speak to me Lord speak to me and I will listen speak to me and I will obey speak to me and I will follow you Speak to me, Father, and I will fear nothing but you. I will have a holy awe of you, Lord. I will fear no man. I will fear no consequence. I will have a holy awe of you. Speak to me, Lord, and I will listen. Scripture tells us that where two or three are gathered together in his name, that he is there in his midst. God is here. 
His presence is here. His miracles are here. His power is here. His love is here to heal, to save, and to deliver. He is here. Speak that with your own mouth so that you hear yourself say it. He is here. He is here. The Bible records for us that God so loved the world that he gave. And what he gave was the very best that he had to give. He gave his only son that whosoever should believe on him would not perish but would have everlasting life. That is why we gather. We gather because of the name of Jesus. Because he is the way to the Father. This morning, as you came in, and we have the celebration, we are celebrating the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Feast of Tabernacles, literally, God with us. His son, Jesus, God with us. And you may have heard songs playing that sounded familiar that we would normally associate with Christmas songs. But this is the season that we celebrate the birth of Christ. Scripturally speaking, this is the season of the birth of Christ. I'm not going to say any more about that because I don't want to get into anybody else's territory this morning. (laughs) But as I was listening and putting together this list, some songs that are very familiar to us. One was Joy to the World. It was actually written in 1719. In the words of the hymn, it's a hymn. And it's based on scripture, Psalm 98 and 96 and Genesis chapter 3. And they were compiled by an English writer, Isaac Wrights, who wrote 750 hymns during his lifetime. Angels We Have Heard on High. The song is based on the Gospel of Luke, specifically the scene in which the shepherds outside of Bethlehem encounter a multitude of angels singing and praising about a newborn child. Away in a Manger was written in the late 19th century. And part of the song says, Be near me, Lord Jesus, I ask thee to stay. Close by me forever, and love me, I pray. Bless all the dear children in thy tender care, and fit us for heaven to live with thee there. Hark the herald angels sing was written in 1739 and as I was listening to the words of these songs I was struck with I've never listened to these songs with the idea of worshiping God I've never listened to the words of these songs with the heart of being so thankful that he would give his son Jesus for me that he would give his son for you Hark the Herald Angels Sing was written by Charles Wesley. The name might be familiar to you. He was the brother of the man who started the Methodist movement, started a revival. Back in the 1700s, Charles Wesley was one of the originators of the Methodist movement, and he wrote 6,500 hymns. And George Whitfield, another name you may recognize as a great revivalist, helped to edit the opening of the song. And part of the song says, Hail to heaven, 
born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness, light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Hark the herald, angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Glory. (laughs) Can we just give him glory this morning? So this morning I have the honor of doing something that I don't know if I've ever actually done before. But I have the honor of welcoming the father of our house, our apostle and our pastor this morning. And I want to say I am so thankful for your prayers. He's been up here once since he's had his surgeries. But if you would, can we honor and celebrate all that God has done and thank him for our apostle this morning. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Well, you all can be seated, but before you do, give somebody a high five and tell them you're glad to see them this morning. doing this morning? <clears throat> Good deal. Well, I was in uh, Merced, California last weekend, so I missed you guys. But if we could, let's give a shout out to Kingdom Ranch Cowboy Church in Mer- Merced, California. <laughs> guys, we love you. And thank you for the honor of letting us be a part of, of uh, Kingdom Ranch. It's, it's such an honor to get to be there. And so, um, but it's an honor to get to be back. And I uh, get to stand with you guys and stand up before you guys today. I, I love this place. It's a place of honor. And I hope that I honor God with this stage. Um, I think today is a, is a good day. Amen? It is a good day. And you'll understand that a little bit more why I said that here in just a minute. But, um, man, it is, it is a great season to be living in. Amen? A couple of weeks ago, I got up here and, and spoke about thin places. And have you all, since then, have you all kind of that was here for that or heard that message? Is there things that you're recognizing in your life, in your house, in your times that are thin places? Those places where God is reaching down and we're reaching up at the same time. And it is just on the other side of the veil that we see here uh, that we were born with. And so um, I, I love that. I, I think that the, we're in a season of a thin place, and uh, man, it's it's good stuff. So, um, you know, um, I was thinking about it, and um, I don't go to Hobby Lobby <laughs> because it's just not a dude place. I just uh, I know Pastor Greg loves to go to Hobby Lobby. <laughs> That's his jam right there. Anyways, only dude I know that likes to go to Hobby Lobby. But, but anyways, I mean, this, 
this time of year, any, anyway, after, any time after the 4th of July, you, you're seeing the chain retailers, big box places that are carrying Christmas trees and all that kind of stuff. You walk in, you hear Christmas songs. And, and this morning when you got to church, you probably heard some Christmas songs. And you're like, I don't like it in Hobby Lobby. And here I go to church, and they're already starting. It ain't Thanksgiving. I heard one little girl say, it ain't Thanksgiving yet. <laughs> and, and that's true. I, I don't like that, that whole early thing. But um, <laughs> this is a season of, you know, exactly what Lynette was saying was that these songs were written, they weren't written specifically for December 25th. They were written as hymns, as praises, as songs that we sing, that, that we would sing or that they sang in the, in the old days. Um, that was their praise and worship. Amen? The, the, the one guy, 6,000 songs he wrote, or, yeah, Charles Wesley, was it? Uh, anyways, I, I just... It's, it's amazing how that we can get um, so accustomed to certain things that, you know, songs, things like that, that that only comes out during a certain time of year. Um, man, it, it is, I, I, I'm speechless, <laughs> truly, I'm speechless. Um, see, most Bible scholars most pastors, most teachers, most leaders in the church uh, agree that Jesus was not born on December 25th. Most of them agree with that. I had one guy, um, a fellow pastor, uh, call me in. He kind of, and I don't know why he called me in. It's like he's correcting me or something. I'm not submitted to you. Don't correct me, you know. Anyways, he, he calls me and he says, I heard that you don't celebrate Jesus' birth on December 25th. I said, no, I don't, um, personally. And, and he says, well, I, you know, I, I recognize him, but I know that's not when he was born. I said, well, that's good. Don't get on to me about it. Um, so, so we ask that question. When we say statements like that, Jesus wasn't born on December 25th, we asked the question, well, when was he born, right? When was he born? Um, see, the concept of Jesus being born on December 25th did not come until uh, the, the uh, third century. Third century, the Roman Caesar, um, oh gosh, what was his name? Constantine got saved, and so he decided that he was going to combine one of the Roman or Greek uh, holidays with his Christianity. And that's where the concept or the, the understanding of Jesus being born on December 20, 25th came in. So it, it really wasn't, wasn't a thing uh, until then. But if not December 25th, then when? I believe with all my heart, and, and I, I've studied this, that he was born at the Feast of Tabernacles. See, there are seven feasts in the Bible. Uh, Leviticus chapter 23, God downloaded that to Moses in Leviticus chapter 23, and he talks about the seven feasts. 
um, really eight because the, the first one was the Sabbath, a weekly feast that, that we were to observe. But then it gets into the, the seven yearly feast, which was the feast of Passover in the spring. Uh, the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of First Fruits, those are all compacted into an eight-day uh, get-together uh, for, the, for the Jewish people. And then early summer, there was the, um, the, the Feast of Weeks, which is what we call Pentecost. And it was, it was a celebration of the giving of the law. There, from the time Passover happened, you know, when Charlton Heston led them out, uh, I, I mean, Moses led them out into the wilderness and from, from Passover to the time God gave the law, the, that was 50 days. So Penta is 50. So Pentecost, uh, Feast of Weeks, is celebrated early summer. And then the last three uh, feasts were the, uh, held around September, October on our calendar, and it was the Feast of Trumpets. It was uh, a two-day feast. Uh, the Feast of Trumpets is when the, the sound of the, the horn would blow, I believe, or it's, it's um, pretty easy to, to study it out. That is when the rapture is going to happen. Woo! Amen. We got one. <laughs> got one that's excited. Because, you know, if, if the Feast of Trumpets comes around and the horn blows in Israel and Jesus doesn't split that eastern sky and come back and get us, then, then that's a time to um, practice. You know, when when you hear practice uh, every year, because one of these days, you know, the horn's going to sound, we're going to go like that and we'll never touch this earth again for a while. So we just go right into heaven. So it's Feast of Trumpets. Then uh, 10 days later would be the Day of Atonement. It wasn't a feast. It was a, it was a fast. And, um, and so it was, that's representative of judgment, the judgment day. And then the last one was the most festive time that God gave his people. And it was called the Feast of Tabernacles. And I believe Jesus was born during this time. And, and so, um, you know, I, I asked the question uh, to myself is, you know, why, why isn't it documented in the Bible, Right. I mean, that's an important thing. Jesus was born, right? It, it should be documented. And it is documented in Luke chapter 2, but the time frame is not unless you begin to dig deep. You've got to dig deep into Luke chapter 2 to, to find out, you know, when this time was. So as, as I begin to, to, to think about this, you know, the Jewish culture, many of the Jewish culture do not celebrate birthdays. You know, when we celebrate birthdays, we put a big party together, don't we? You know, from, from the time we were born till uh, the time most of us go home to be with the Lord, every year we celebrate this birthday. Well, the Jews did not do that. The Jews didn't hold our birth date, birthday's date in high esteem. They believed in the counting of the years, um, and, and knowing uh, the years that you've been alive, but it wasn't a big, uh, a, a big celebration for that. They kept track of the number of the birth years because we see uh, most uh, Jewish boys have a bar mitzvah at 12 years old. So they, they, know, um, they know the birth years, but they don't make a big deal out of it. And, and what I found as I begin to dig into that, what do they do? 
for birthdays. And I found this uh, thing called mazel. In the Hebrew or the Jewish people, it's called mazel. You know when they get, when Jewish people get married, they take a wine glass, roll it up in a, in a, um, a towel, and then they stomp it and break the glass. And when they do, they, they all go mazel tov, right? The word mazel is how they describe their birthdays. Because the word mazel, when you define it, it means a drip from above. The word mazel means a drip from above. So what, what, is that, what does that mean, a drip from above? Uh, what, what we're seeing is, or, or how they see it, is on the mazel, on their birthday, that, that, it, that their, personal, their personal influence is at the highest place during the year. They're receiving this drip from heaven. They believe that their influence is, uh, you know, some people in our culture and society, we would call it luck. I don't believe in luck. I don't believe in happenstance. I believe that there's things orchestrated uh, for our lives. There's, there's intersections of certain things, but I don't believe in luck. Uh, but mazel, the word mazel was almost like that because of the fact that they felt like their personal influence was at a height during their birthday. And here's what they did. They, were, they, um, they recognized that they, during that time, should be a blessing to others, not blessed. Our birthdays are totally the opposite. You know, what do you want for your birthday? I'm going to bless you for your birthday. But Jesus always stood on, it is better to be, uh, it is more blessed to give than receive. So during that time, they would bless other people. They would give of themselves rather than receive from others. And so this is, this is God's MO. This is his mode of operation, his modus operandi. That's what God does. He's, you know, we, we give him praise and things like that, but he blesses his people. Amen? And, and as I was looking at this, thinking of, of uh, John 3.16, that says, and Lynette said it just a bit, a bit ago, was, for God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his son Jesus. He gave, he gives, he always, this Bible is full of the giving that he gives to us. Amen. This is the word of God and the word of God was with him and he gave us the word of God, right? And, and really don't expect, he gives without expecting us to give back to him. Although he looks forward to us giving back to him. Amen. So he, he was, um, this, this word gave, so God so loved the world that he gave. The, that, that word in the Greek is the Greek word didomai, didomai. And it, the, didomai means there, there's several different, when you look at the Strong's Concordance, there's several different um, definitions to that. But one of the definitions here, he gave, means to give someone something to be religiously observed. That's what the feasts of the Old Testament are. They, are. they are a didomai, a gift, a blessing that he gave us 
to observe religiously. Amen? Are you all with me? Um, and so the, 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 feast of, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles is that that he gave to us. In the Old Testament, what you find is the Feast of Tabernacles is something that he started, something that he continues to do, and something that we will do when we get to heaven, whether you like it or not. He didn't put that appointment on his calendar and say, if you can make it. No, he put it on our calendar and says, you will make it. We will go to Jerusalem. We will go to the new Jerusalem in heaven when we all get out of here. We will go and, and we will celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles with him. The, as a matter of fact, I think it's Zechariah that says that if we don't, if we don't show up, we'll be put out of the kingdom. Does that mean hell? I don't know. But I can guarantee you, when you're outside the walls and everybody's partying in there, it's hell. <laughs> so the word didimai, I mean, gave, that the, the feast of, of tabernacles becomes a feast of joy. It is a time of joy, extreme joy. So the word didomai also means this, in light of Jesus, to give something to someone for his advantage. See, our advantage of work, walking on this earth, because this, this earth is terrible, and it's getting worse, right? I mean, just being in America, I, w I don't know if I would like to live in the Middle East because it's so bad. I, you know, I heard this morning one preacher on TV say that, that there are millions that, that, that between 2020 and 2022, there have been more people killed for their Christianity, especially in the Middle East, than ever in history. Persecution and, and uh, those martyrdom is big in the Middle East. I don't know why I got off on now that. I, I, I guess just it needed to be said. Uh, so for, for me, Jesus being born at the Feast of Tabernacles just makes sense. It makes sense because there are so many, in the Bible, there are so many consistencies. There are so many harmonies of Jesus being born during the Feast of Tabernacles. Listen to this. You know, when we read in, in um, Luke chapter 2, what you find is that Mary and Joseph, Jesus' mom and dad, she's pregnant, and they get out on the road. I remember when Lynette was pregnant, and we, were, we had just started the church here, but we were living in Colorado Springs. Our uh, midwife was in Colorado Springs, and I'd load up old Prego and take her to her appointment <laughs> and, in Colorado Springs. Traveling with a pregnant woman who is on these vitamins that make her want to throw up, she would take her vitamins. I had to keep like trail mix in the, in the glove box so that she wouldn't get crazy on me. You know, I think they call that hangry, isn't it? Traveling with a pregnant woman was tough. And old Joe here is traveling with Mary and she's nine months along. She's ready to take the cake out of the oven. And, and I'm sure she's complaining all the way. <laughs> but there, Luke chapter 2 says that Mary and Joseph was heading toward Bethlehem. 
to be, and the Bible says to be registered or to pay taxes. Well, the Roman government knew um, that this feast was a pilgrimage feast. That means all the men who are Jews would have to come to uh, come back to their hometown, Bethlehem. Um, uh, 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 Jerusalem was a part of that. So all these people, millions of people would make the pilgrimage during that time to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles together. The Romans knew that they were coming, so they thought, hey, this is the best time. You know, we can, we can look everybody in the eye and get their money. Good IRS right there. Um, so while she, when they get to Bethlehem, she goes into, Mary goes into labor, and they go to the hotel, and try, you know, the Holiday Inn, and um, the, maybe it was the Holy Day Inn back then. Um, so, <laughs> I am funny, and you guys ain't even catching it, are you? So they go to the, the, the Holy Day Inn. And there are no rooms. Why? Because the place is so packed with millions of people coming for the feast that they can't find a room. Well, Mary's hollering. She's like, dude, it's coming. So they went out back of the Holiday Inn and they found wherever, they found the, uh, where they put their livestock, where, you know, people riding in on their donkeys and camels and all that kind of stuff. Uh, they found in that livestock pen a shelter. The Feast of Tabernacles is also called the Feast of Shelters. And so they went into the shelter. She gives birth. They laid baby Jesus in a manger, right? We, we've all heard that story. They put him in a manger. It was a feed trough. I mean, I mean, here at this church, we baptize in a horse tank or water tank. They laid baby Jesus in a manger. And so as they laid him in that manger, he needed to be kept warm because it was getting chilly out. And so Joseph, who um, I'm, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but I probably need to because I'm running late on time. But, um, but Joseph, they, they wrapped the baby in a swaddling cloth. You remember that? A swaddling cloth. Why did they have, you know, who gave him, who gave him a baby blanket? Well, every year at Feast of Tabernacles, they called it the Feast of Lights as well. At night, there, they would light the candelabra of the, of the temple that was out, outdoors, 75-foot tall uh, candelabras. They would light these candles up, and the righteous, Jew, uh, the, the righteous Jews, um, the, the men who were considered righteous, they would take strips of old clothes that were worn out, they would take those strips, wrap it around a stick, light it, and they would dance through the streets all night long with these torches. Joseph brought his own torchlight. But he used it not to light the torch, he used it to wrap his new baby boy in that. The Bible says Jesus said that he is the light of the world. So he was wrapped in the very cloth that, that was to, to give light to that season. Amen? So, you know, when you, when you begin to study a, a, in your Bible about these things, go and study 
the, uh, the conception and birth of John the Baptist. Because when you see John's timeline of being born, you will find Jesus' timeline of being born within it. Because John, was his, John the Baptist was his cousin, and he was six months older than Jesus. And when you see all these things, it, it'll start coming together. That Jesus was born during this time. Amen? Amen. On, the, on the night of his birth, the angels, uh, the angels appeared to shepherds with the flocks out in the field uh, just beyond Jerusalem. There were no flocks in the field in the field during December. They were with the flocks in September and October, which is when the Feast of Tabernacles hits. So the angels came in and, and they they worshipped him, but it was because of the Feast of Tabernacles that brought about this new baby boy that was the Messiah, the king. He would be the king. Of the world, Amen. Amen. So, um, so I just wanted to run those things by you. You know, I'm not here to blow up your Christmas. I'm here to I'm here to tell you that you can celebrate it anytime you want to, anytime. If it's December 25th, April 14th, the day before the IRS comes, Fourth <laughs> of July. I don't care when you celebrate it. Just know that Jesus was born. Jesus is king, and Jesus came. God gave us him, Jesus, to be the salvation of the world. Amen? Amen. So, um, with that, I want to switch gears here just a little bit. As Jesus grew up, uh, his family, year after year, went to the Feast of Tabernacles because it was that pilgrimage that they had to make that God called for them to come to those times. So as Jesus grew up, he returned to the Feast of Tabernacles celebration every year. Every year. Because why? Because Jesus did everything that the Word of God had already established. He never wavered one time from the Word of God. So he goes, he goes as he's growing up, and, and he goes every year. But as you read your Bible what you find is that his last Feast of Tabernacles, the last time he was there, it's very vivid in, in, in John that he was there on his last Feast of Tabernacles, and it was the most impacting time, even more impacting than his birth. When he was 33 years old, he went to the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, as a matter of fact, when he entered into ministry, the Bible says that when he is about 30 years old, he entered into ministry. He's about 30 years old at the Feast of Tabernacles. It was the Feast of Tabernacles that he began to preach. He got his release to preach from God. Amen? That's a, that's a cool thing. Um, but the last one, his last one was a huge impact on um, the world. The Feast of Tabernacles was, was considered the most joyous time. It was 
it was considered a season of joy. It was the most celebration that all the Jews made uh, throughout, throughout their year. Feast of Tabernacles, bar none, was the best, the funnest, the one that most people look so forward to coming back next year. You know, they, they left, they, they had such a good time. The celebration was so great that when they got done and Feast of Tabernacles, Feast of Tabernacles was over, they started looking forward to the next year. Because there's, there's this expectation that the, that the Jewish people had, the Feast of Tabernacles. They always consistently, constantly thought that they, they wondered if the Messiah was there among them. Because the Messiah was supposed to bring joy. And so they, they joyed themselves. <laughs> and as they joyed themselves, they always thought, is the Messiah here? among us. This would be the perfect time for him to reveal himself. And so every morning during the, except the first morning, every morning for that eight day feast, um, they started with a celebration. This celebration was called the, the, the drawing of water. And so they would, they would get up, you know, from night of partying, they would come into the temple and as they come into the temple, they would go into a place called the court of women. And so this is, this is where all the women hung out, all the Jewish women hung out and, and the Jewish men were allowed there too. They would go into that place and as the sun came up, they would see a priest, one of the, one of the priests, he would go and grab a golden pitcher and he would go out the south gate of the temple. The south gate is called the water gate. Not President Nixon's water gate. It was their water gate. And, and so the, 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 the priests would go out the water gate with this huge procession behind them. People had uh, limbs of trees, you know, leave, uh, leafy trees, not just limbs. Um, <laughs> They would go out and they would wave those limbs and they would venture, the priests would venture down to the pool of Siloam. That was, at that time, that was Israel's water source. That was, that was the whole water source for the, the city of Jerusalem. And, and it was spring fed into the, the pool of Siloam. So they would go down to the pool of Siloam and they would take that pitcher and plunge it into the water. And as they plunge that pitcher into the water, they would recite Isaiah 12:3, which says, therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. They are plunging that into uh, Jerusalem's water source. And there, it's called, Isaiah called it the, 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 the water of joy. Um, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. People would ask during that time, what is the purpose of drawing out the water? And people, uh, the, the priesthood would tell them, it is representative when we pull the water out of the pool of Siloam, it is representation of the Holy Spirit. And they would take it back to the temple and they would pour it out on the altar. And when they poured it out, it, was an, it represented an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It was during this time that, that 
they believed that that water was a perfect representation of what salvation brings us. See, we, we have this thing that we call salvation. You know, every, every week I'll give an invitation or somebody, whoever's preaching, will give an invitation. When you receive Jesus, there is a pouring of the Holy Spirit upon you. But during Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, there's an infilling of the Holy Spirit where the, the Holy Spirit is poured in and it comes out, overflowing. But salvation is about pouring on the Holy Spirit to the people. Amen? It was such a joyous celebration that anyone, the, the priesthood said, or especially after the, the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, there was a thing said from the priesthood. They would say, anyone who has never seen the rejoicing at the place of the water drawing has never seen rejoice, rejoicing in their life. It was such a, it's such a joyous place, such a joyous time when the priest would fill this golden pitcher and bring it back to the Feast of Tabernacles in the temple. So when the priest returned uh, to the temple during that time, when the priest would turn, return, he was met, when he walked into the temple, he was met by another priest that had a pitcher full of wine. And they together would ascend up to the, the altar. There were two bowls or funnels on either side and they would pour at the same time the water on one side and the wine on the other and they would run to the altar and join together as it went on to the altar. Um, man, that's so cool. I, I found a thing where, you know, Jesus is represented through all of this, right? It's a prophetic um, picture of what Jesus did. And you remember when Jesus died on the cross? We've heard that story, he died on the cross. That cross was made out of wood, so it was the altar. It was basically an altar. And Jesus is hanging there. He's already said, it is finished. I am done, I'm out. He died. To make sure that he died, they would take a spear and run it up through his ribs, under his ribs, into his stomach, up, up his ribs, and pierce his heart, pierce the heart of that person being uh, uh, crucified, right? What does the Bible say happened whenever they run that spear in there? It flowed out water and blood. See, the wine is represented as blood. And the water was the, the joy. And when Jesus' heart was pierced with the spear, blood and water, the wine and the water came pouring out. That's cool. I like that. So if you would, go over to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. i got to make this legal this morning. We've got to read some scripture, all right? So I'm, I'm going to take you over to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. Um, now, as you get to John chapter 7, what you're going to find, what we're going to read here in just a minute, that this was the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, when, when we're gonna read, what we're going to read here. The, the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles was called the last good day or the great day. They considered the last day the greatest day. And so when the priests returned and they poured the water and the wine offering, as they began to pour, 
out of the thousands of people that were there in the court of women watching this process happen, everybody, the whole celebration went silent as they poured. A holy hush fell upon that place. Nobody was talking. And so John chapter 7, verse 37 says this from the New King James. It says, On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. I want you to picture this. They're pouring in the, the, the wine and the water on the sacrifice. Holy hush has, found, has settled on the people. They're all, oh. And in the silence of the people, Jesus stands up and it says he cries out. He yelled. He hollered. I don't care what you call it. He hollered. And he said, if anyone is thirsty... Let him come to me and drink. He was saying, this is representative of me. I am the Messiah. I am here. Are you thirsty? Come and get a drink. Now listen. Jesus had a way of ticking people off. Uh, You know, I don't think he did it just to do it. I think he did it because he likes seeing people get ticked off at him. And so he said this, and everybody turns to look at him instead of what's happening on the altar. Everyone turns to look at him. So some people that heard this thought he was a prophet. They, they recognized him as a prophet. Others thought he was Messiah. Others were appalled. Others were angry. And the religious people begin to plot murder for this man. They was tired of hearing the three years that he's been preaching. They was tired of hearing all the stuff. They, but they, they hated him. They wanted to, to murder him. And they, they began to try to figure out what they could do. The, the thing about it is the Bible says that they were trying to murder him, but no one could lay hands on him. See, Jesus said, it ain't my time. I'm not yet glorified. Well, they were trying to glorify him by killing him. And I love what the Bible says on so many occasions that he ticks them off. They pick up rocks to stone him, and he walks back through the middle of them. And they're like, God's protection was on him because God sees to it that he does not die before his time. So, so we see these people, um, you know, we, we see these people that are plotting murder against him. So he says, look, I am, I am the, uh, if anyone's thirsty, come and let him drink of me. I, I am the living water. I am the living water. His invitation of living water is still calling us today. I am I'm standing up here preaching to you that Jesus is the living water. If you are thirsty, if you're tired of the desert place, if you're tired of the wilderness that you've been in, many of us can say, we, we, I feel like I'm in a wilderness. 
He said, if you're thirsty, if you're tired of being without drink, I'm the one. Come to me, not only for new salvation, but for continual salvation that we all need. I mean, if, you, if you're a Christian, you've never been through a, um, a, a desert place or a wilderness, get ready. Well, pastor, that's not a good selling point to this Christianity. No, it's not. But I'm telling you that every one of us will go through a wilderness, will go through a desert. You read back to every man that has an impact in the Old Testament, David, Moses, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all of those people to be a, a, a person of God, you will go through a wilderness. They all went through the desert. They all went through a wilderness time. But Jesus is the living water. Jesus is where we go to get a drink. Have you received that? If you haven't received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, I'm, I'm not done preaching yet, but you know, I just throw this out there. If you've never asked Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life, you need him because you're going through a desert place. You may or may not know it. You're going through a desert place. But what I'm telling you is that Jesus is the living water. He's the one that can refresh you. He's the one that can give you new life. He's the way of salvation. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? Has the desert places left you parched? It's time to get a drink. Amen? It's time to get a drink. Now, this, this, this place called Siloam, the pool that was called Siloam. It was, it was the only source of water for Jerusalem, for the city. And, and Isaiah called it a well of salvation. It's a well of salvation. Jesus is our only source of salvation. Amen? He is the well of salvation. He's the well. We have to drink of him. And so with that in mind, he is that salvation. Um, go over to John chapter 9. John chapter 9. As you begin to read through John chapter 7 into chapter 8 and on to chapter 9, John chapter 8 is still, he's still in the last day of, of, uh, of the Feast of Tabernacles. He's still there on the last day. And John chapter 8 has all this, um, it's very vivid. Because Jesus taught in the temple after the water ceremony, after he ticked those people off, then he continues preaching in Solomon's, uh, in Solomon's uh, uh, covering. And that was, it was upstairs on the, on the temple. It was a covered dwelling. And, and they're in the temple, on the temple wall. And Jesus went there to teach. So he moved his congregation up there and he began to teach. As he taught the religious leaders came and challenged him. They, they tried to set him up, and they did set up different scenarios. This was a time when Jesus was there teaching, um, and they brought the woman caught in adultery and threw her at Jesus' feet. And says, now, I mean, they're setting him up here. Are we going to stone her, or are we going to let her off? Because if you let her off, we can put you in jail. If you say, if you, if you are who you say you are, or if you stone her, now you're a murderer. So they're setting Jesus up here. So, um, you know, if you've read the, 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 the story of the woman caught in adultery, my, my deal is where's the dude that was with her? 
They didn't bring him. And that's where Jesus stoops down and begins to ride in the dirt and things like that. And ultimately, he looks up and every, everybody that's accusing this lady is gone. They left. And they left her. And he says, woman, where are your accusers? And she says, I don't know. He says, I don't either. But you need to get up and go and sin no more. And he gave her salvation at that point. Amen? This was the time. They tried to set him up with those different scenarios. They tried to trap him. They argued with him. They questioned him. They disputed with him. They provoked him to no avail. He just continually kept coming back to he was the living water. He was the light of the world. He was, he was the ultimate piece of the Feast of Tabernacles. Amen? So as he began, as he, you know, he really wasn't defending himself. He was just giving him truth, truth nuggets. He was just throwing truth nuggets at him. It's better than McNuggets, huh? Um, but they, they, so they, 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 he made them mad and they picked up rocks to stone him. And it says that he walked through the middle of them and left the temple. As he walks out the gates of the temple where they're not able to, to throw rocks at him. As he walks outside the temple, Jesus came across a man who he had seen many, many times. John chapter nine, verse one says this. Afterward, as Jesus walked down the street, he noticed a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Teacher, whose sin caused this guy's blindness? His own or the sin of his parents? Jesus said, Neither. It happened to him so that you could, could watch him experience God's miracle. While I am with you, it is daytime, and we must do the works of God. Uh, do the works of God who sent me, while the light shines, for there is coming a dark night when no one will be able to work. As long as I am with you, my life is the light that pierces the world's darkness. Then Jesus spat on the ground and made some clay with his saliva. Then he anointed. The, the blind man's eyes with the clay. He said to, to the blind man, now go and wash the clay from your eyes in the ritual pool of Siloam. So as he went and washed his face, and as he came back, he could see for the first time in his life. This is a blind man that Jesus had seen many, many times. People knew him well. He was handicapped to a degree and could not enter into the temple. They wouldn't let him in there. It reminds me of the story that I heard uh, about um, uh, William, um, who's the Azusa Street Revival guy? William Seymour. Seymour. <laughs> get, get that, <laughs> William Seymour. Um, <laughs> anyways, I heard the story about William Seymour that that went out to California and, and set on the steps, this revival was taking place. Now, William Seymour was a black guy. And during that time, there was a lot of, you know, racism and things like that going on. 
But William Seymour went out there. When they found out that he was a black man, they wouldn't let him in the church. And William sat out there on the front steps and he said, God, they won't let me in. And God spoke to him and says, Willie, they won't let me in either. That's, that's what's happening with this guy that's blind. He needs to see more. But they won't let him in. They won't let him in. So Jesus tells him, he says, he says wait right there. <laughs> now, when you're being prayed for, somebody goes, <laughs> you're like, what? I opened my eyes so I can see. He didn't have that option. Um, so here's... He hears Jesus spit on the ground. He makes clay out of his, and, and get this, that's the very dirt that God made mankind with. And, and Jesus makes clay out of it, puts it on his eyes, and says, all right, now you go down to the, the, the pool of Siloam, and you wash. And he went down, and he washed his face. One translation said he washed his face. And when he did and washed that clay off, that spit and dirt, his eyes were opened. His eyes carried the DNA of Jesus. There is miracles in the DNA of Jesus, right? So he, he tells him, he says, go down to the same pool. It was the same pool that the priests were at just a few minutes ago. A few hours ago, they were there dipping this living water out. The wells of salvation. I love what Isaiah called the pool. It's the well of salvation. Because that water, as the pool of salvation, would bring joy. Joy comes in a lot of different uh, wrappings. For him, it was sight. It was a gift. Jesus gave him. Jesus wasn't looking for gifts for this guy to bless him. He was looking to bless this one with the blessing that he had. Because he was standing in the midst of mazel. That drip from heaven. I mean, Jesus spit with a drip from heaven. My son got that. It brought him joy. I believe with all my heart that when he opened up his eyes and he could see things that he's never seen before, he broke out in a dance. He broke out in joy. He began to laugh till he cried. Because the people began to gather around him and say, aren't you that blind guy? He says, I was blind, but now I see. There's so much more to that story. I encourage you to go read it. But I, this is what I wanted to point out to you is that he experienced joy from the well of salvation, that joy. I, I love this word salvation because the word salvation in the New Testament in the Greek means it's a, it's a Greek word that is called soteria. And soteria, when you look up the word Greek word soteria, what you find as a definition, it means deliverance, protection, safety, and healing. So many times we, we call salvation is what we get from Jesus when we ask him to come into our heart, right? We have that salvation. This is what I want you to understand. Salvation is not about you having your fire insurance. You know what I mean when I say that? I mean that before you ask Jesus to come into your life and give you salvation, 
you are hell-bound. That is your eternal address until you ask Jesus to come into your life. Once he comes into your life, now you've got your fire insurance where you don't have to go to hell. But salvation is not just about fire insurance. Salvation is about, to its, to its ultimate factor, is about deliverance. It's about being delivered from those things that, that, that weigh on us. It's about protection. It's about safety. And it's about healing. Walking in health means you're walking in the joy of your salvation. Uh, I, I tell you what, you know, being diagnosed, when, when I was diagnosed with what the doctor says I have, I've never owned it. I've, ne- I've never said it's mine. It's not mine. It's, it's the devil's. It's, it's hell. It belongs in hell. But the fact of the matter is, is that I believe that that salvation that I have with him is healing me. It's reversing that curse. It's, it's giving me, God's giving me protection through the salvation. He's giving me deliverance from what the devil wants to oppress me with. Amen? Encountering Jesus is encountering the living water. And there is no way that you can talk that blind man out of that. He went to the pool of Siloam. He went to that pool and received salvation. He went to that pool and the water delivered him because the living waters told him what to do. And when we encounter salvation, when anyone encounters salvation, it brings joy to our lives. Yesterday, I had the opportunity, Lynette and I had the opportunity to go to our gym. And they asked us, uh, they asked us last year to do it, and they asked us this year to do it. It's going to become an annual thing, I believe. They asked us to come and um, baptize. They, they had people that wanted to get baptized. So we did a, a baptism yesterday. It was pretty cool. Uh, it was really cold in the tank, so they knew it was cool. <laughs> but we did a we did a a, um, a baptism, and the sa- the the baptism represents because it's water. It represents the living water. It represents the salvation that we've received, and and being baptized. Right? <clears throat> there was a joy that happened. One of the one of the young men that that I got to baptize texted our coach before we left there yesterday and he said, I'm in my car driving down the road and I already feel different. That's joy. That's encountering the joy of of Christ. Amen. So wrapping all this up and landing this plane that I started, um, tonight, see, see last weekend, last Sunday, at, at sundown, uh, we usually say sundown. It's really moon up. When the moon comes up, that's that's when that's when the day starts for the Jewish people. So last Sunday at moon up, did, did you all see the moon last week? Last man, it was so pretty, so big. That was God saying, "I'm I'm on you. I'm coming. I'm coming. This is a season of joy." So at, um, at moon up last week, we started the Feast of Tabernacles. Now tonight when the moon comes up, 
we enter into the last great day. The last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. What does that mean? That means that this is a time, it's a thin place, that whatever you need from God, he's there to fulfill it. I'm preaching a lot better than you're reacting right now. (laughs) We enter into the last great day tonight. And all day tomorrow is the last great day of of the feast. And in that, there is fullness of joy. But listen, you don't have to wait for that. We are in a season of joy. The season of the Feast of Tabernacles is a season of joy. There is joy in this place today. Amen. There's joy. How many have received joy today? How many have received joy? How many of you... How many of you all have stepped into that salvation? Because salvation is an encounter with Jesus who is salvation. See, Christianity is not about knowing when Jesus was born. It's about knowing that he was born. And that he is the living water. He is the Siloam. because that is what establishes our source of joy, is dipping from the well of salvation. Remember that. Write that on your heart. Write that on your brain. Isaiah 12, 3, that we find joy when we dip from the well of salvation. See, according to the word of God, according to the story we just read in John 9, We don't have to fumble through life blindly anymore because Jesus has told us through his death, burial, and resurrection. His death, burial, and resurrection was about putting clay on our spiritual eyes. And he's saying, come to me, the living water, and I will wash you and I will encounter you, I will deliver you, I will heal you, I will protect you, I'll make it a place of safety. You don't have to go through this life blind anymore because I'll open up your eyes. I'll open up your eyes to the, to the salvation that I have provided for each and every one of you. I will tell you this, that if you were the only one on this planet, God still would have sent his son to die on a cross for you. Because he loves you that much. When God so loved the world, he didn't see all the people as a mass. He saw you individually. He saw you and he loved you so much that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's all I got. Because because my words, my words don't mean spit. 
but his words do. Amen? So I want to ask you once again, have you made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? See, Jesus, Jesus didn't come and, and tell anybody that they had to walk an aisle, they had to pray a prayer, they had to raise a hand. All he did was, he said, would you come and follow me? If you've never followed him up to this point, now is your time. He has got the, the mud ready to put in your eyes. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each and every person that's here. I thank you for those that have come from far off. I thank you for those that have come from nearby. That God, that they could come here and, and hear some things that might challenge, it might challenge their traditions. But Father, I know that you gave us your son Jesus to bring salvation to this world. And so, Father, right now, I pray that as those that are saying yes to him, saying yes to coming and following him today, I pray, God, they would be just like that boy that called our coach yesterday and says, I I am feeling a change right now. I feel something's different. Father, I pray that we would all feel that way, that our desert place would be quenched, our thirst would be quenched by your son, Jesus. And I thank you, God, for your love for your grace, for your mercy, for everything that you have given us through salvation. Father, I pray that as we wash ourselves with living water, that our eyes will be open to see what you have for us each and every day of our life. Father, I thank you. I praise you for who you are. I praise you for what you've done. I thank you for the giving of the Holy Spirit. I thank you, God, that we have been given the comforter And that, God, that you love us even more than we know. I thank you. I praise you for all that you are and all that you do. Father, I declare today that we enter into a place of revival. God, I pray that revival would be released because this is, we're moving into the last great day of this feast. And I thank you that the joy causes so much happiness and and fulfilling that we feel, we see revival break out among us. God, we thank you. We praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.